So welcome to Leaders of Consulting. I'm here with Hugh Ballou, who's a transformational leadership strategist who teaches leaders around the globe how to build synergy with teams. And he does it in a rather unique way by drawing on his previous experience as an orchestral conductor, which we'll hear more about in a second. And this allows him to really help business executives draw out the best of their team members. So Hugh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Jonathan. Glad to be here. So I thought just to start off with that we might dive into some actionable advice here. With your experience transitioning from an orchestral background, how you've basically switched over from a very different field, but you've managed to take a lot of learnings and lessons uh, from that field. And so I'd love for you to just describe and help other listeners out there just understand how one might go about taking some of that prior knowledge of theirs and transferring it over to a new domain as you have done. Absolutely. My discipline is principally with choirs, choral conductors, but I served megachurches where I hired the significant orchestra in the cities where I lived. And, you know, there's a little nuance there with uh, orchestra players. You get down to business, I want this, they write it, you do it. With choirs, there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of um, motivation and there's a lot of attaboy kind of stuff. A lot of there's more verbal with that. So same discipline, different audience. So as a, as a business leader, you say, I want this, I want this. It's a paid staff. I want it by Friday, get it on my desk. As a nonprofit leader and a culture of volunteers, you have a compelling reason And it's a lot of the same stuff, but really, here's what we need. And you motivate people to do it because they're there because they want to be there and have a passion. So universally, I had to create systems to support my music making. So when I served a mega church of 12,000 people with, you know, 750 people in the music program and on TV and, you know, very high visibility, 10% of my job was music and 90% made it possible for me to do music. Now, whether you're a coach or a consultant, an author, a speaker, nonprofit leader, business executive, you know, what you do, your expertise, your product or service, your value proposition is 10%. 90% is creating the systems. So when I step into a concert and I've got a choir and an orchestra in front of me, I've got the, the music, they've got the music, but we have spent the majority of the time preparing for that moment when there's a downbeat. So success is where preparation meets opportunity. So what we fail to do as small entrepreneurs, consultants, nonprofit leaders, I don't care what the field is, what we fail to do is to create the systems that support what our product and service is. And then to rehearse those systems so that we're the best we can be at delivering those. So that's how I took what my discipline was and moved it from music making into general discovery of leadership. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And I really do admire your ability to identify that transferable skill set. When you think about it, I, I guess it does make a lot of sense, right? As a conductor, there are elements of leadership, coordinating groups. And it makes total sense to then apply that to something like leadership coaching. And another thing that you mentioned to me earlier on as we were chatting is a distinction you made between the different stages of consulting. You called it going from being an insultant to eventually being a resultant consultant. Can you explain what you meant by that? Well, consultants tell people 
you know, you ask a few questions, you write a strategy and you hand it to people. And there's a, a model where we tell people and really we have to get out of our comfort zone. So there came the insultant. Why do you want to do that? It hasn't worked for all these years. Why do you want to keep doing it? And so um, getting people the real truth. Some people are insulted, but other people are, ah, that's a revelation. <clears throat> and then the resultant, what we really need is resultants. So I, I narrowed in on this unique description of transformational leadership strategist, because you can have the greatest strategy in the world if you don't have the leadership skill to make it happen. And then we're transforming. We're transforming ideas into reality. We're transforming ourselves because we're constantly working on our ability to implement. And then we're transforming the team, which then transforms the organization. So it's a continuum of um, continuing development, continuing uh, to improve and working on ourselves and being better at we are. In the music world, ensembles rehearse for every performance. The very best ensembles rehearse for every performance. That's what we don't put into our business. Um, small business, nonprofit, church, synagogue. We don't rehearse. We have bad meetings and we expect good results. So thinking of systems is where I come from. And as a conductor, we have this rigid, rigid structure. It's very exacting and it's written down and it's the discipline. We cannot violate any of the rules, sort of like computer programming or engineering. But within the structure, we have to be creative. So we have a structure and then we can really be creative, which in the full sense of that, the structure is the container. And then we can be creative because all our energy goes into creating, not into the structure, because we've already created that. So transforming those lessons into the workplace, no matter what the discipline, is what's usually missing. The integration of strategy into performance, as a conductor knows how to do. Interesting. And you mentioned there uh, bad meetings. I've definitely been in quite a few of those. Are there any particular uh, approaches or uh, strategies you use to, to conduct better meetings that people can use? I have a whole 10 tips to getting better meetings. Happy to share it with anybody listening. Um, it's um, conducting power-packed meetings. And we start with the wrong premise. Now, I've been a teacher. I am still a teacher. I'm teaching college right now. Um, I've been a conductor for my whole life. Neither teachers nor conductors look at process, look at you know act activity. We look at results. In teaching, you teach to learning objectives. In conducting, you have these accomplishments. You're paying a union orchestra for two hours. You've got to get the job done. So you have specific measurable outcomes. What we do in meetings is we define an agenda, which in my world is the killer of productivity. What we should be defining is not activities, but results. We call those deliverables. We're going to accomplish A, B, C. So instead of talking about marketing, we're going to define as a deliverable the five top marketing strategies that will deliver us 25% better results in the next year. So it's a reverse paradigm. We don't do talking about it. We do action and we walk out of there having accomplished something. So you begin, as Stephen Covey has stated, you begin with the end in mind. So you drive toward the end result. And we don't spend for conductor, 
in a rehearsal, we spend two to three hours for every hour that we're online conducting. It's the same ratio for meetings. You must spend time preparing it because you have good people, worthy work, and you can't afford to waste time. In volunteers, you want to honor their time. In business, you're wasting time. Mm. You know, I've led meetings with, you know, 40, 50 lawyers who were not billing for $400 an hour. They were in a learning session to get better. So it was really important to quantify the results of that. So how do we get the best thinking? Well, we plan the process of how to get from where we are to where we want to be in that segment. So it means planning it and knowing where you're going and having a process to get there. It's sort of like setting goals for your enterprise, no matter what you're doing, where are you going to be and how are you going to get there? Yeah, I can see how having a results-driven approach like that would lead to better outcomes. I also really agree with the part where you talked about respecting people's time. And it reminds me of a conference I recently attended where I was chatting to one of the speakers and he described to me how one of the things that he would do before delivering his presentation was he calculated how many people were in the audience and how much time he was going to give his talk in and how much time that was worth to those people in that audience. So that's the way that he kind of made it very concrete. You know, exactly how that was the way that he was able to give gravity to that talk. Um, and I think that's something that's that's helpful to think about, maybe even in the context of, you know, podcasts like this, you know, actually thinking of, you know, how many people are listening and how much that time is worth to people as well. Yes. And and we we there's, there's four pillars I have for being an effective leader. The first one is if I step on a podium, I know the score. I know where I'm going. So that's the preparation. So we call that the foundations. You got your vision, you got your clear objectives. Now you have the ability to articulate that. So people understand it and lead it. Second one, you surround yourself with capable people. Hire the best is a music term. It's building and maintaining relationships. That's important because leadership underneath it is relationships, communication, relationship-based. And then you have really good work, meaningful work. You have good people. And we put them into boring, unproductive meetings. So we kill it right there. We tap people's hands. They can't be productive because we've not thought about the systems, really effective practices there, systems, foundations, relationship systems. And the fourth pillar makes the rest of them work. If we're burned out, we're no good. So it's balance. How do we balance life? It's value the rests. Rests are in music. It's a very specific emotional point of punctuation. And so how do we balance ourselves? So we're always an effective leader. We can't work all the time. can't be stressed. So balancing ourselves really makes the whole thing work. Yeah, I like that. And, uh, and something else that we were, we were talking about earlier, which I thought was an interesting, slightly, maybe a slightly contrarian view to what a lot of people believe in, was that you have an opinion that oftentimes there's a tendency to opt for hiring subject matter experts related to the core expertise of the company or organization that's doing the, the hiring or bringing in the outside expert in. But what that leads to, as we were discussing, is often this insular thinking and this inability to find more innovative solutions. Uh, so I'd love for you to kind of expand on that and describe why you think it's important that we think a little bit more outside the box. Um, <clears throat> I do keynotes and trainings, workshops, and um, I've done them for accountants and auditors, for bankers, for movers, for, you know, all kinds of disciplines. Uh, 
um, operating room people of chemists, chemistry companies. I don't know a thing about what they do. Mm. And they have the expertise for their product and service. Remember what I said before, 10% of what we have is what we do or our expertise. 90% is the, the systems, the process that makes it possible. And so we have blind spots as leaders. We don't know what we don't know, and we can't see it because we're so close to it. And so if we hire, very common question I have with high technology companies, they have this very finite level of expertise in technology and we're having this conversation about if it's a fit or not. And, or we need to know, have somebody that knows technology, you know, technology, what we do, right? I said, no, it's a, it's a value that I don't know that. So I'm not in the blind spot with you. So if we have a whole bunch of people with the same perspective, so when I do a planning team, for instance, um, a, a musical festival concert, I'll have eight, seven people out of 10 in the planning team that are experts. They know music. They know concerts. They know the stick. There's two people that I call copers. They're, they know a little bit about it, but they're not in the insiders. And then there's one that's an impert that is a good thinker, a team player, um, going to add value, but they know nothing about music, which is good because somebody has to represent the audience and say, wait a minute, you guys are off mark because you're designing something that most of us don't get. So in technology companies, I find there's people texting others in a cubicle next to them thinking they've communicated, but they're relying on the technology. And there's a people part of this. There's a functional part of this. As a matter of fact, when I run meetings in my PowerPoint meetings, I don't use chart pads or slides, and I don't let people bring computers or cell phones. We use pieces of paper and we put them on a storyboard. So everybody's printing and writing. So there's a simulated rehearsal there of how do we function together? We're actually performing at a high level. We're creating tangible results by writing on papers and putting them where we can see. I call it visually displayed thinking, but we're also functioning. We're looking at each other. We're talking, we're interacting, we're sorting ideas. So the, the missing component there is something that's out of our expertise and as a facilitator of meetings, I'm neutral. I must be neutral and manage process and let everybody use their brilliance of content. So it's important to have 15 to 25% of your expertise outside of your area. One Another example is clergy. Clergy want to hire coaches who are retired clergy. So we're building in the same blind spots because it's an inner insider idea. This is how you do it. Well, mm. you know, hadn't been working. Maybe we need some new ideas. So that's just some examples. Yeah. I love that. It's kind of holistic approach to, um, uh, to things. And, and one of the things I think I, I've really appreciated, uh, you know, get, having gone to know you is how you're able to network and really connect the dots between very diverse, interesting groups of people. And, um, it's a, it's a lovely kind of, yeah, holistic way of kind of approaching things. I live in I live in the South, in the United States, in the South, and we not only have our own words, we have our own language, <laughs> and we say we say um, uh, none of us is as smart as all of us. You know, if you, the collective variety of perspectives, and just like I put together that project team with different perspectives, that's how I view life. We really need diverse perspectives. Absolutely. And with that, Hugh, can you tell the listeners uh, where they can find out more about your services, your online presence? 
Well, my name is Hugh Ballou, H-U-G-H-B-A-L-L-O-U.com. You can go there, find out all about Hugh Ballou. If you happen to be a nonprofit leader or you know a nonprofit leader who really needs to get out of the woods and develop some leadership skills, there's another one, nonprofitcommunity.org, O-R-G. So it's how do we get to come together in community and learn together? Nonprofitcommunity.org is where people can go, whether they're nonprofit leaders or clergy, really are running a nonprofit enterprise. And so how do we put our business hat on as we're leading these for-purpose businesses, really? Fantastic. Thank you so much, Hugh. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a great pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.